Welcome to today's issues. Join us for the next hour as we offer a Christian response to the issues of the day. Here's your host, Ed Vitagliano. And welcome everybody to today's issues. Ed Vitagliano sitting in for Tim Wildman this week. I am joined in studio by Fred Jackson. First of all, good morning, Fred. Good morning, Ed. Chris Woodward is in with us. Good morning. And joining us from Kansas City is the Chiefs <laughs> fan of Chiefs fans, <laughs> Dr. Ray it. Pritchard. Good morning. Got it. You. We, you know, we're just getting warmed up here in Kansas City. Just get <laughs> we, we, the parties have already started. It's pretty much a week long. What is it? Pre-Super Bowl celebration. Pre-Super Bowl celebration, your Chiefs play in the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles. It's going to be some kind of game, man. Eagles are a really, really good team. They are a good good team. I would never really bet against Patrick Mahomes. I don't bet. Right, right. Because, first of all. Purely theoretical. First of all, I, I, I don't think it's biblical. Second of all, I'm really bad at it. So uh, third, you I, want to keep as much of your own money as you that's, can. That's, that's right, and that goes from that was from uh, my pre-Christ days. I was always terrible, terrible at poker, terrible at betting, always lost. I think God was trying to tell me something even back then. So anyway, the the that's uh, coming up on uh, Sunday. Um, I'll just I'll just say this, guys, before we get into the hard news. Uh, the NFL is having a hard time drawing. I, I tell you what, a lot of Christians are tired <laughs> of <laughs> the woke garbage and the immorality that is kind of glommed on to the sports world, and uh, a lot of woke messaging coming from all of it, not just the NFL. So, uh, if they're not careful, they're going to lose a big chunk of their fan base. But uh, they're being run kind of like corporations. I guess that's understandable they are in the business of making money so anyway that's my two cents we're talking about it i'm frankly irritated at all almost all the sports world so anybody got to throw something in before we move on or hockey's perfect Hockey, hockey's perfect. <laughs> no it's not no I mean, it's not yeah they, they're promoting all the lgbt stuff LGBTQ stuff as well. So, all right. Well, let's uh, let's move on to our news of the day. Yeah. Well, first, I'd like to move that they uh, move this the State of the Union address to earlier in the evening because I'm a guy who goes to bed around eight thirty at night. <laughs> Getting because you get up so early. To come I, here I get to up work. I get up at four. So uh, it didn't start until well, it's they supposed to start at eight o'clock. State of the Union. But by the time all the introductions are made and all the Supreme Court justices come in and then the cabinet and then the president comes in, it doesn't matter if it's Republican or it's Democrat, they all have to shake hands with 40,000 different people. That's right. They walk down that aisle, including Congresswoman Jackson from Houston, Mm -hmm. I think it is. They were actually making note she gets a seat right by the aisle every state of the union address. And she gets a selfie with the president. Oh, well, that's probably Sheila Jackson her, Lee. That's probably her assigned seat, right? Is that? I don't know what it is. I mean, it's not like a Southwest Airlines flight where you just—I <laughs> think you just pile in and grab a yeah. seat where you want. Some of these are like historical seats, but she must have one on the aisle. Yes, 
and I, I think she buys a, a special dress for every occasion. <laughs> uh, but well, anyway. that's just being a, I, I, I'll probably get in trouble, but that's just being a lady. Guys, you know, say, okay, so I wore the same sweater, you know, last week. Yeah. Not not for ladies. Guys, it's the blue suit and the red ties, That's the blue right. ties. Yep. Yeah. That's all. Not very, uh, very. Well, listen, uh, I think I have to agree. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the new governor of Arkansas, gave the response last night. She opened up her response, and I have to agree with her description. Her first words, forgive me for not believing much of what I heard tonight. That's how she started off her speech right. last night. And uh, we're going to try to take you through the highlights mm. of the president's State of the Union address last night and perhaps get an indication of why Sarah Huckabee Sanders <laughs> reacted the way she did. Uh, first off, uh, it is Joe Biden, and it's not the first time he's done this over the last year or so, taking credit, and this is going to be cut number one, Brett, taking credit for creating, I think it went up last night, 1 million jobs. Uh, used to be 11 million. He took credit last night for creating 12 million jobs since he came into office. Mm-hmm. Wow. What, a, what an incredible president. That's awesome. Yeah, cut number one. 12 million new jobs. More jobs created in two years than any president's created in four years. All right. Let's make it very clear, and, and this is not, uh, you know, initiated by us. He didn't create 12 million jobs. Right. When he came in as president, COVID had shut down, for many people, mandatory. Right. You know, business that shut down. Non-essential. Non-essential job. Shut down. These are people, these 12 million jobs are people who are just coming back to work after being told you can't come to work because we're shutting down because of COVID. Right. But he keeps repeating that he created these jobs. So right off the bat last night... He's putting out falsehoods uh, right away. And, of course, uh, and we'll hear this reoccurring theme last night. And and they say it's going to be the theme because everybody start, is starting to say he's going to run again. Right. Uh, we must finish the job. We heard that again and again and again last night. But if he could, tries to tote this into an election campaign that he created 12 million jobs, the American people aren't believing it. Well, it, first of all, uh, and Ray will get your comment. Uh, and and I don't I don't want to go point by point on everything the president said last night because it was long speech, and it will bore our listeners to death. But I do want to comment on this because this claim is easily dis- dispensed with. Yeah, it's easily dispensed with. Now we have said on this program for uh, many many times for many many years that presidents get. Usually too much credit when things go well and too much blame when things don't. All right. But this claim that he created 12 million jobs, the only time a president should make that a part of his, you know, campaign speech or part of his resume, the only time a president should do that is if there is an expanding economy that is the result of his or her policies mm-hmm. that's that's the only time a president should be ronald reagan made that claim for example famously made that and it was true they added new jobs to the economy mm-hmm. and that's when a president puts that on his resume whether whether it should all be to his credit or not that's usually what presidents do this is easily set aside and 
really makes the president look bad if this is going to become his claim. Because as you said, Fred, these are people returning to work after COVID. Ray, I I doubt that the media did a lot of fact-checking on this. They did some. Some did some fact-checking. But this is an easy this is an easy one to kind of uh, put to the test. Well, it's a big number. Twelve million is a very big number. It had nothing, and underline this, folks. It had nothing to do with anything Joe Biden did. Whoever was president was going as the as the pandemic came to an end, as the as the COVID played out in our society. We were going to see millions of people not getting new jobs, but going back to work mm-hmm. who'd been furloughed, let loose, let gone, and all the rest of it. It's a false claim. Joe Biden has not created 12 million new jobs. I don't know how many he's created, but it is a much smaller number than that. So this is just yet one more falsehood from the Biden White House. The administration, what stood out to me here is the administration and really today's Democrats in general, they want people to believe that they are our benevolent parent or provider. They are the reason why things are going well in your life. It's because of them. Um, and Kamala Harris herself did this a couple of years ago when she was running for president. There was a debate and, you know, they've got umpteen Democrats on stage uh, arguing about things. And at one point, Kamala tries to take over the, the debate and she says, America doesn't want to see us fighting. They're wanting to know how we're going to put food on their table. And people were like, wait a minute, the, the, a, a president of the United States does not put food on our table. We do that based right. on the things we bring home and whatnot. So uh, this administration in particular really wants people to believe they are our daddy, uh, and we should look to them for all things. Yeah, and, and that that is a clear distinction. Well, it used to be a clear distinction between the two political parties. certainly is a clear distinction between uh, two uh Somewhat mutually exclusive worldviews when you're talking about capitalism and increasingly socialist take that seems to reign supreme inside the Democratic Party. We have reported uh, on another aspect uh, of the speech last night had to deal with the border. Now, if you thought for a moment that Joe Biden uh, was going to confess that he has allowed five million people to come across our border since he became president, he wasn't going to do that. Uh, He took no responsibility for that, but he did talk about now what we need is immigration reform. Cut number four. Let's also come together on immigration. Make it a bipartisan issue once again. We know we now have a record number of personnel working to secure the border, arresting 8,000 human smugglers seizing over 23,000 pounds of fentanyl in just the last several months. We've launched a new border plan last month. Unlawful migration from Cuba, Haiti, Nicaragua, and Venezuela has come down 97 percent as a consequence of that. But American border problems won't be fixed until Congress acts. If we don't pass my comprehensive immigration reform, at least pass my... Okay. Uh, Joe is fading away there. Yeah, he didn't do that sure last night. <laughs> no. Hey, hey, listen, uh, but you see what he did there? Boy, he's a good card player. Right. You know, no responsibility for creating the problem, which he did. Under Donald Trump, everybody knows the border was secure. Joe Biden comes in because he promised uh, during the leadership campaign for the Democrats, I'll invite a surge. Right. Everybody remembers that. So he's taking no responsibility for the hundreds of thousands every month 
coming across the border. But now he says we have to have a solution, a bipartisan solution to deal with this. Uh, These kinds of claims are infuriating. And uh, there were some Republicans who did respond Mm -hmm. during the speech uh, about that. But these kinds of claims are infuriating because, uh, as you mentioned, Fred, uh, the Biden administration created the problem. And then whatever policies they've tried to tweak to maybe uh, stem the flow, the influx of illegal immigrants, when it brings when it's when it lowers the numbers coming across that border, they claim it as if it was a victory. (laughs) But uh, they created the overwhelming problem to begin with. Yes. And then claim credit for slowing it. Yes. You know, so if they create a flood in your backyard and then slow it down somewhat all they want to talk about is how much they've slowed it down yes not talk about the fact that they broke the pipe yes that is now flooding your house yeah and and yes that's that is a a really good metaphor all right uh also of course uh the united states of america is well aware of the china uh surveillance balloon uh that made its way across the country and the Biden administration waited until it got off the coast of South Carolina to bring it down. Uh, the administration has been under great criticism about that. But uh, any criticism was not acknowledged because the balloon did come up last night. And we got a tough talking president on how he dealt with that surveillance balloon. Cut number eight. I'm committed to work with China where we can advance American interests and benefit the world. But make no mistake about it. As we made clear last week, if China threatens our sovereignty, we will act to protect our country, and we did. <laughs> we did after after they got. Let's see, the uh, recipe for Coke, the recipe for Kentucky Fried Chicken. Uh, after they got all the secrets they wanted, we dealt with that problem. Ray, secrets, we, we let it float all the way across <laughs> Montana. It floated across part of Kansas, right where we are, okay? It floated right across the heart of America. And finally, when it cleared when it cleared the land, right, when it right. was about 15 miles out or whatever, completely offshore, then we shot it down. So we gave it time, Ed and guys, we gave it time, gave the Chinese time to complete its mission. Once the mission was complete, then we shot it down. But that's, How is that that's, anything that's, to be in, in Joe Biden's mind, as, as scary as it is to be in there, okay, that's a victory, okay, for him. I guess he's claiming that that's showing, that's showing, that's showing the Chinese, the communists, uh, yeah. we're, showing them. Them a, we're showing them a thing or two, make no mistake about it. Yeah, we they were able to take pictures of all our military establishments mm-hmm. across the country, and then we showed them. Then we showed them. Right. You know, it's, it reminds me of when I was in high school, uh, you know, kids had shove each other on the playground or wherever they were, even even in high school. And there was always that guy who was mouthing off but would got behind his friends and said, hold me back, hold me back, because he really didn't want to fight. Yeah. And that's the kind of attitude, I, the, yeah. the vibe I got from Joe Biden talking well, tough about the Chinese. Keep in mind, too, that he is already on record as saying he told the military to shoot it down, like, early on right. when we found out about it, right? Uh, and then days go by. So – Somebody that works for the president of the United States did not do what the president ordered. They were like, hey, let's just give it a few days. And here he is bragging about basically their dereliction of duty 
by taking their sweet time to shoot it down. I, I got to tell you, the only thing he showed them, showed the Chinese, was how much they could get away with. Yes. And and this we talked about this earlier in the week. Uh, this apparently happened three times under the Trump administration, although President Trump himself was apparently not told mm-hmm. by our intelligence branch. I'm not sure who's running the intelligence community in this country. So the Biden administration knew they had done this before. Yeah. And so why they didn't shoot it down as soon as it got into American airspace, uh, I, I don't know. I understand some of the, the issue, some of the people defending the administration were saying things like, yeah, you shoot it down, but it could fall on grandma's house. Okay. But I have the, all, the area that that balloon went through has an awful lot of uninhabited territory. I, I, I find that argument less than convincing. Yeah. Well, uh, one more point, and I know we have to move on here. Uh, last night, and I wondered if this was going to come up because it's been repeated by the Democrats, by the president over and over again, that those terrible, terrible Republicans want to cut your Social Security and your Medicare. Right. It came up last night. Have a listen to how, as to how that went down. Cut number six. Many of some of my Republican friends want to take the economy hostage. I get it, unless I agree to their economic plans. All of you at home should know what those plans are. Instead of making the wealthy pay their fair share, some Republicans, some Republicans, want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. See, and I tell you, I, I enjoy conversion. Conversion? Conversion. They've come over to his side, is what he's saying. Does he mean conversation? Is that what he means? Uh, well, it's Joe Biden. Who knows? There's no telling what he, what he means. Uh, listen, um, th- this is an old debater's trick. What his speechwriters pulled, uh, you take something that one person might have said on the Republican side and then you paint the whole party with it, and I, I have no idea whose proposal he's talking about. I'm sure there's somebody who has said it. I'm just going to tell you, I turned 65 this summer, okay? I, Republicans like me, they don't want Social Security or Medicare uh, cut, no. and I don't know anybody who really seriously does, uh, but to – Try to paint the whole Republican Party as being in agreement with that is uh, just a smear. It's just a smear. And, and that's why I try to be careful when uh, I talk about the the Democrats and especially the far left. You have some real radicals in the Democratic Party who say insane things. And that's why we're careful here on this show to say this Democratic Party is not your father's Democratic Party. This is not classical liberalism that we hear anymore. This is the radical element within the Democratic Party because it is a smear to say all Democrats believe what these far lefty radicals believe. So the president got an earful from the Republicans. And I I generally don't like individual Republicans standing up and saying 
things to interrupt the State of the Union speech. I don't think it should be done on either side. But when you have a statement like that, sometimes it's the right thing to do for the whole part of the party who's just been smeared to let the watching, the audience who's watching, know that, no, they don't believe in that. As I say, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the new governor of Arkansas, gave the official response for the Republicans last night. She did a fantastic job. Uh, The State of the Union speech ran about an hour and 17 minutes. She wrapped things up, and I think in about 14 minutes. Mm -hmm. And uh, but what she had to say um, uh, was stated strongly and very much to the point. Uh, At one point during her speech last night, uh, she took the president on 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 these claims that we have to do something about fentanyl when he himself created the problem. Have a listen to what she had to say about that issue on fentanyl. Cut number 11. We now have the worst border crisis in American history. As a mom, my heart breaks for every parent who has lost a son or daughter to addiction. 100,000 Americans a year are now killed from drug overdoses, largely from fentanyl pouring across our southern border. Yeah, uh, the latest estimate from the border authorities, they believe close to 7 tons of fentanyl have come across our southern border since Joe Biden became president. Seven tons. Seven and, tons. And, and in comparison, Ray will get you to chime in if you'd like, but in comparison, uh, the amount of fentanyl that can kill a person is really small. Oh, so when you're So yeah. when you're talking about seven tons of it being uh, sown across communities throughout this country, we're talking about the potential for double or triple that uh, fatality rate, all because of the policies of Joe Borden, uh, Joe Biden on the, I don't know, call him Joe Border, <laughs> Joe Biden on the border. Ray, what's, what's your, what's your take on this? You know, there, there are some things that we can theorize about some things we absolutely know to be true, which is that when Donald Trump came into office in 20, early 2017, he said he was going to secure the border, had a big fight, spent a lot of money. The border was more, by the end of his term, the border was more secure between us and Mexico than it has been in a hundred years. Yes. Did some stuff get across? Yes. Some stuff did, but it was just a minuscule trickle compared to the flood, the flood of of illegal immigrants and drugs, especially this fentanyl. Seven tons. Friends, do you know how dangerous this drug is? we got to lay this at the feet of Joe Biden because he inherited a secure border situation and basically has just opened the door for anybody to come in across our southern border. And this fentanyl, this tragic wave of a flood of fentanyl that's coming to our country, this is the fault of Joe Biden and his dereliction of duty. Yeah, I mean, we're not just talking about illegal immigrants. We're talking about the drugs. We're talking about the human trafficking. Yes. Uh, we are also talking about an unknown number of terrorists who have crossed. The reason we know some of them are coming across is they have Border Patrol working double and triple overtime. They have caught some. So we know that means some have gotten across. We have no idea what the plans are uh, for uh, in the minds, the hearts and minds of terrorists who have crossed that border. So you're talking about a catastrophic failure of leadership, a policy that is absolutely 
to the detriment of our country and its people. And that it should be laid right at the feet of Joe Border. Joe Border Biden. Joe No Border Biden. All right, folks. Uh, we are going to take a short break. And when we come back, more. Uh, we're going to have Abraham Hamilton III on to discuss some kind of wacky things that are happening in our country. Get a legal take on that and more news to discuss when we come back. You're listening to today's issues on the American Family Radio Network. What does the American Family Association stand for? We believe true morality flows from biblical principles and directs people to the manner in which God intends them to live. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Thank you for standing with us as we seek to stop the erosion of godly values. And my father, your great-grandfather, fought in World War II. Really? He was a gunner on the big ship out in the Pacific Ocean. Wow. Your great-grandmother did her part, too. Was she on a ship? Oh, no. She stayed back home. She and a lot of her friends worked really hard in a factory because the men had gone off to war. And they held scrap metal drives to help in the war effort. The folks back home were heroes, too. Here at the American Family Association, we consider you the heroes back home. As you fulfill your responsibility of caring for your family day to day, your partnership with us is crucial as we fight the enemies of freedom in America. Thank you for your commitment to the American Family Association. Grandpa, what's a scrap metal drive? Let's get some cookies, and I'll tell you all about it. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starn. Stand by for news and commentary next. Uh, my goal as a teacher is, is to impart knowledge and then be able then for them to take it and turn it into wisdom. As we teach, I think, okay, five years down the road, how will the material that I am teaching them really affect their lives and their careers? Hi, Todd Starnes here. Truett offers biblically-centered degree programs. Check out truett.edu slash Starnes. Disney's getting blowback for producing a full-blown anti-white propaganda cartoon. show is a reboot of The Proud Family. It features kids singing a song about slavery and reparations and arguing that America owes black Americans because we have yet to atone for racism and white supremacy. Nothing more than animated critical race theory. Now, the song alleges that Abraham Lincoln did not even free the slave. LaToya Raveno is the executive producer of the cartoon series. She's on the record for having a not-at-all-secret gay agenda at Disney. Gone are the good old days when Mary Poppins entertained the kids. Now Disney is peddling identity politics to innocent kids. You know, they recently tore down Splash Mountain because of its ties to Song of the South. Disney says the film is racially insensitive, even though the star became the first black man to win an Academy Award. The happiest place on earth is now the wokest place on earth. I'm Todd Stearns. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Psalm 139, 23 through 24. American Family Radio.
This is today's issues. Email your comments to comments at AFR.net. Past broadcasts of today's issues are available for listening and viewing in the archive at AFR.net. Now, back to more of today's issues. And welcome back. Ed Vitagliano sitting in for Tim Wildman this week. I am joined by Fred Jackson, Chris Woodward, and Dr. Ray Pritchard. We are scheduled to have Abraham Hamilton III on. We're having a little bit of technical difficulty on that front, but we are going to see if we can get him on by phone. That's not always ideal. We like to have our folks on by what's called Comrex. It's cleaner sound, fuller sound, but uh, we do. We did tell you we're going to try to have Abe on, so we'll see if we can get that to work. All right, in the meantime, let's uh, try another story, Fred, before we get... Avon, do we have anything? Well, uh, as promised, uh, when Republicans took control of the House, they promised a number of hearings on some really critical topics. And there is a hearing underway right now. Uh, This is the House Oversight Committee. And what they're looking at, they're trying to get down to the bottom of how was it that when the Hunter Biden laptop story broke, the New York Post broke that story, several weeks before the election. How was it? Who made the decision on Twitter that they were not going to do a link to the New York Post story? Now, we have found out some things since then, that basically you had uh, the Biden administration colluding with executives at Twitter to try to discount the story. One of the witnesses that has been called today is a man by the name of James Baker. All right. He is uh, Twitter's former deputy general counsel, but he had a job before he became Twitter's deputy general counsel. Who did he work for? Well, uh, he was the FBI's general counsel during the opening of two of the Bureau's most consequential investigations in history, the Hillary Clinton investigation, and a separate inquiry into potential coordination between Russia and Trump's 2016 presidential campaign. So, you got to follow this. Remember, Hillary Clinton was let go. Right. And there was the whole uh, two-year investigation, which didn't prove to be true, that Trump colluded with the Russians. Yeah, Robert Mueller. So, who hires James Baker? Twitter hires him. And he becomes Twitter's, and he's in the role of uh, deputy general counsel for Twitter, supposedly when they're making the decision that we don't think that Hunter Biden laptop story that has all kinds of goodies, I don't think we want to put that on Twitter so that the world could find out what was really going on inside of Hunter Biden's laptop and all the information about working with China and the possibility that his dad was involved and maybe made a lot of money off of a China deal that Hunter Biden put together. Okay, uh, I'm going to come to Ray here uh, on this particular topic in just a moment. I do want to let you know, folks, that we are not going to be able to have Abraham Hamilton III on. The uh, technical uh, difficulties were too overwhelming. We will get Abe back. He will still be doing his show, so you'll get as much Abe as you want. By the way, this is a good opportunity to let you know that if you go to AFR.net, mm-hmm. you can access podcasts of all previous shows. I think for most of our uh, talk show programs, mm-hmm. certainly Abe, 
this show as well. So go to AFR.net and you'll see a little drop-down tab for podcasts and you can uh, access past uh, programming on American Family Radio. All right, Ray, here's the thing that that just strikes me. Uh, and, and listen, I, folks, I just want to let you know, I, I am not a, a sky is falling kind of person, okay? But I, I do want to make note of the fact, and Ray, the Bible talks plenty about corruption because human nature doesn't change when you look at, in the Old Testament, especially the prophetic books, but also the poetic books, Psalms and Proverbs, so on and so forth. There's a lot in there about corrupt government, about bribes, uh, about corruption in general. And because human nature doesn't change, it doesn't matter what form of government you have, you're going to have to deal with that part of human nature because wherever there is great concentrations of power, like Washington, D.C., Wherever there are great concentrations of money, we're talking about Washington, D.C. being perhaps worldwide the place of those concentrations of power and money that are unsurpassed anywhere in, uh, I was going to say the universe, but in on our planet. Uh, Ray, this kind of thing goes on constantly. We, we see a constant exchange of personnel, corporate world, the political realm, uh, law enforcement, people moving from D.C. to professorships, big universities. You see people will leave their their job in Congress, get a job on a board of a big pharmaceutical company. This is this is a existential threat to our republic the way things are done, I'm not sure what the solution is. I'm not a political scientist, but but Ray, this is this is just uh, a, a possible depth of cor- corruption that I'm not sure. I'm not sure how to cure this this sickness. Ed, I just looked out the window. The sky is definitely falling here in Kansas <laughs> okay, City. All right, <laughs> all around us, it's falling. And really, you know, you you've got the political side. Y- yes, this. Look, the fix was in. The fix was in. The you know the the, the government that the, they were in on the deal that the Justice Department they were in on the deal to bury the Hunter Biden thing. I think you're raising a a broader question. It's a broader biblical question. There's a reason the Bible uh, you know says all men are liars. You know why? Right. Because all <laughs> men are liars. Right. There's a reason the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things, because it is deceitful above all things. There's a reason the Bible says, uh, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, the, that's Romans 3.23. All of our, all of our listeners right. know that one, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't know anything else, you know that one. All, all have sinned. But th- there's that little phrase at the end of verse 22 that nobody really ever quotes, but it's the key to verse 23. For there is no difference between rich and poor, no difference between young and old, no difference between American, African, Asian, uh, Hispanic. It doesn't matter. Whatever your background is, for we are, we're, we're all in the same boat, Ed. Uh, we are born with a sinful nature. The propensity to lie, the propensity to deceive, the propensity to corruption and to covering up, uh, this is a this is not a political problem 
and I want to be fair about it, Ed. It's, this is not a Democrat problem right. versus the Republicans. This, as far as I can tell, corruption is pretty well evenly spread across the human spectrum, which is one reason why you need police forces, why you need jails, why you need uh, good laws and you need good law enforcement, why you need uh, what, what separation of powers. Because if you put all your power in one man or one body, somebody with all that power is going to misuse it. It's just part of human nature. So that's the, that's the terrifyingly bad news. We live in a really messed up world, Ed. And if you want to go to the next step, the only answer is not political. The real answer is in the gospel that changes the nature of the human heart. Well, let me let me push this discussion just a little bit further and get Fred and Chris get your take on this. Um, so this is this is part of the biblical problem I have with critical race theory. Okay, I'm not just throwing it all in on, on that one spot, but uh, or on that one topic. But here's the problem I have, and and it is a threat to the gospel when I hear Christians talking about this because. What critical race theory says is that what Ray Pritchard just said is not true. <laughs> that evil is rooted in whiteness, not blackness, not Asian, not Hispanic, whiteness. And the reason it's a threat to the gospel is that the gospel says the, the good news is preceded by the bad news that Ray just let uh, laid out. And that is that all people are subject to sin and corruption and lying and covetousness and oppression, oppression of other people who are in a weaker situation that you can take advantage of. And what it says also is that the foundations of this country are corrupted by whiteness and inherent racism when, in my opinion, the solution to Many of our problems, while certainly not just political, our founding fathers, Fred, were so brilliant that they gave us they gave us a system that could be used by a people who feared God to correct some of these abuses and and instead of concentrating power where it can bring down a nation, you separate it, and so I look at these accusations against the Declaration of Independence and our Constitution, while certainly flawed documents in terms of being written by human beings, point a way politically for us to start maybe curing some of these ills. But, of course, ultimately it is a gospel issue, and these kinds of ideologies undermine and drain the heart out of the gospel, too. You know, one of the central messages of Scripture is— we're held accountable for our actions. What critical race theory, what you were just addressing there, critical race theory says, no, if person A over here acts in a bad way, it's person B's fault. Right. Uh, that's what critical race theory basically yes. says. Uh, and that person B may have lived 100 years ago. Right. Person A lives today, but if person A does something wrong, even though that person lived 100 years ago, they're to blame for this. Right. That's not the Bible. The Bible says that someday all of us will give an account. Yes. We will give an account. Uh, Revelation talks about the white throne judgment, which is where people who reject Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Uh, it says the books will be open. 
Right. Boy, that's frightening. It is frightening. God is keeping books on individuals. There is a name. Yep. And you will be held accountable someday. And if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you will not be able to point to the person next to you and say, my sin was his fault. Right. That's that's what Scripture teaches. For us as Christians, there'll be a Bema seat judgment. Yeah. Uh, you know, when the rapture occurs, there'll be a Bema seat. Now, uh, when you're saved, uh, Jesus has paid the price for your sin. But we are going to give an account with what the talents that God gave us, right? the finances that God gave us, what we did with those things, and there are going to be awards right. for, for that. So whether you accept Jesus Christ, your Savior, you go before the Bema seat, or you go before the white throne judgment, it's all about accountability Yes, for what God has done for you. And uh, there'll, there'll be no excuses. And what has happened with critical race theory and what has happened in the liberal wing of our society and our culture is an attempt to flip accountability to people who have nothing to do with your decision to sin. Right. That's what's going on here. And that's not going to work. Right. It's not going to work before God. No. And it really doesn't work in the real world. It doesn't. uh, Either. Go ahead, Chris. This discussion is why AFA, FRC, and other groups were sponsors of an event last week in Washington, D.C. that was called the National Gathering for Prayer and Repentance. If you didn't watch it, I'll share the link here in a second on our uh, Today's Issues Facebook page. Uh, But... In addition to the many things people were uh, praying about and asking repentance for was the treatment of others and for people to get along and respect one another. This is also a discussion that shows you, unfortunately, many people out there in America, including those that have been in church for a long time that are Christians, they don't hear these things in their churches. Pastors are not preaching on these things like Romans 2.11, which tells us God shows no favoritism or God is no respecter of persons. Your V may have it differently. Uh, Pastors don't preach on these things, unfortunately, not as a whole. Sunday school teachers don't teach on these things. What people get is seven ways to have a great week this week. And then, unfortunately, too many people get their knowledge of Scripture from some vague Facebook page or what a politician tells you the Bible says, which is why you, believer, need to be in the Word yourself to figure out what God says about these things and don't believe what some politician or what some uh, community organizer tells you Scripture says. Too many people listen to those people, and they're biblically ignorant. And that's why we're having these problems today. All right, folks, one last comment, and then we'll move on to some uh, some more stories here in this first hour. Uh, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I am not I, – I, I spend a lot of time reading in the Old Testament prophets, and they do address issues of justice, which in the Bible means issues of righteousness. There can be unrighteous conduct that is, uh, that is performed communally, corporately, there is corporate unrighteousness, uh, injustice, if you will. I hate to use kind of that word with a modern-day spin. The Bible talks about God's justice. So there are issues that we should address from a corporate perspective. I am not dismissing that. I'm a firm believer that for a society to be just in God's eyes, individuals have to treat each other in a righteous manner as they interact corporately, all right? But that's not what I'm discussing. I am discussing the ideologies that gut that message from the Bible 
and set up a whole different standard of what is righteous and what is just, really, frankly, without any uh, even tip of the hat to what God thinks. So anyway, I, I like having these kinds of discussions periodically because it gives context, a spiritual context, to the issues that we're discussing that can seem to be overwhelming, but we need to address from a biblical perspective. All right, Fred, it's enough of our uh, our preaching today. Let's uh, let's move on. Well, one of the cultural battlefronts, and we we've dealt with this story uh, almost on a weekly basis, is in the field of education and in our schools. Uh, I some would argue it's the front line in in our cultural wars. Uh, and it's it's a battle over the uh, the minds of our kids, and many people believe where we are today got its start in an education system that basically rebelled against godly standards, and they said we can take these young minds and we can turn them against Christian principles, and turn them towards socialism, and turn them towards man ought to be control in control of his own destiny and forget about this God of the Bible. And I say all that as an introduction to this story. Uh, you know, uh, in in Virginia, uh, there was a change of governments there, uh, Democrat to Republican, largely because of what was happening in the schools. And uh, apparently there are still liberals uh, in very high places in the education system in Virginia. And uh, one of those places is apparently the Virginia Board of Education. There was a person appointed by Governor Youngkin. Uh, Her name is Saparna Duda, I I hope I'm pronouncing that right, who immigrated to the United States from India. Yes. She's a parent. uh, A very legal immigrant. uh, Legal immigrant, very bright lady. And she was appointed uh, to this Board of Education. But she said something that upset the other board members, at least some of the other board members who had apparently have control of this. Uh, and I, I, I want to tell you, she's a woman who championed traditional American values, and she was booted off the board one week after sparring with another board member over whether public schools should present socialism as incompatible with democracy. Now, listen to this. Uh, she she uh, introduced, uh, or she, she told the uh, Senate Democrats voted to remove this Saparna Doda uh, claiming that a public school parent isn't qualified, I'm, this is a quotation, isn't qualified to serve on the Board of Education, according to the governor. She's a mother and an advocate for parental rights. Uh, her ousting follows a contentious exchange last week during a board meeting reviewing proposed changes to history and social science standards in Virginia's uh, public schools. Two of the foundational principles outlined in the learning standards are that the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution are remarkable documents and that socialism and communism are incompatible with democracy and individual freedoms. And uh, a board member, another board member, uh, her name is Ann Holton. She just happens to be married to the Democrat senator, one of the Democrat senators from Virginia, Tim Kaine. Right. All right. Uh and here's what Ann Holton said. You cannot reference the Declaration of Independence and Constitution as remarkable documents without also acknowledging that they contain fundamental flaws of enshrining slavery and limiting the protections that they provided for only white men. 
Um, so is socialism compatible with democracy, Holton asks. That would be a great debate to have in a 12th grade government civics class. Uh, but uh, So there, she, there you have it. All of a sudden, because this immigrant from India believes in the Declaration of Independence, believes in the Constitution, is warning about the dangers of socialism, according to this Democrat who sits on this board, that's a dangerous point of view, and we don't want you on this board. Ray, I, I got to tell you, this this is uh, increasingly, as Fred said, I, I think I don't think it's maybe it's arguable, but I think it's certainly uh, believable. I believe it that the education system in this country used to be colleges and universities. It is now in the lower grades, uh, high school, and even lower grammar school, if they still call it that, is the front line in the cultural battle over the direction of this country and our history. And I got to tell you, this kind of sentiment uh, is just steeped in historical ignorance because when people say that the Declaration of Independence, they want to undercut it because it was written during a time when slavery uh, was legal in this country. Well, you know what? It was legal everywhere in 1776. The, the reason this Declaration of Independence is so st- startling in human history is because its ideas had not been written down like this at all, except in the scriptures, okay, these kinds of ideas. The fact that we are uh, created and endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, okay? These ideas were unique in human history. The fact that they occurred in a country that still had slavery in a world that still had slavery is what is so startling about about those those words penned in 1776 so this idea that we should en- engage with ideologies that want to frankly my belief is throw that document in the trash and throw our founding in the trash in the garbage simply because these were steps forward out of moral darkness uh, is frightening. And the fact that this person would not could was booted from the board because of words that they said were what was the words not disturbing, but uh, anyway, we'll we'll get back to the uh, the Tim Kaine's wife. What did she say about those? words? Yes, she said, you cannot reference the Declaration of Independence and Constitution as remarkable documents without also acknowledging that they contain fundamental flaws of enshrining slavery and okay. limiting the protections that they provided for only and to white men. Yeah, uh, those are true statements, okay, but they were they were made in documents that were unique in human history. And to me, Ray, these criticisms are meant to serve as the platform for ending our constitutional government, not limiting the power of the federal government, but strengthening it and turning us in the direction of socialism. That- we ought to ask ourselves, Ed, the question, who wrote the Declaration of Independence? It was Thomas Jefferson, clearly one of the greatest minds God ever created, a, a truly phenomenal 
thinker. Was he a slaveholder? Yes, he was. That's a matter of historical record, and there's more you can say if you go down that road. But what was it that Thomas Jefferson, the slaveholder, what did he say? We hold these truths to be what? Self-evident, meaning that's really an appeal to what we call today natural law, right. that certain things are so obvious they're part of reality itself. So, Mr. Jefferson, what are these self-evident truths? That all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator. At Thomas Jefferson, some kind of deist, I suppose. I don't know. Nobody's arguing he was an evangelical Christian, but he understood there was a creator endowed by their creator with certain inalienable Interesting word there. We don't use the word inalienable. In fact, we we never use the word inalienable unless we're quoting the Declaration of Independence. But what does that mean? It means it's a right that cannot be taken away from you. It can't be separated from you. Certain inalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, was Jefferson a slaveholder when he wrote those words? Yes. Was that wrong? Yes, it was. Was it evil? Yes, it was. But by writing it that way, self-evident truths, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, he planted the seeds, if you will, that would lead to freedom and liberation and an end to slavery. Because in the end, slavery is incompatible with the idea of self-evident truths, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So, was the Declaration of Independence written in a time when slavery was pervasive? Absolutely, absolutely. And yet, it planted the seeds that brought forth the harvest of liberation and freedom. And we ought to thank God for Thomas Jefferson and for the great document he wrote. And let me just say this. Abraham Lincoln relied on the Declaration of Independence in his speeches and in his arguing against the vile institution of slavery, that if Thomas Jefferson had not written those words, we might never have seen the end of slavery. All right? So this is the point I'm, I'm trying to make against the God-haters, frankly, and the people who hate our Constitution and our form of government, who want to use that as an excuse to end it. And, uh, frankly, we're not going to let them. So, anyway... All right, folks, five-minute break for news. When we come back, more. You're listening to today's issues on the American Family Radio Network. Please join us. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.